So let me pray for us before we get into today's message. Uh, God, our good and gracious Father, Lord, uh, I pray that these t- this time that we have together to crack open your word, Lord, that it would be just rich, that our souls would be nourished, and that we would be able to encounter you in a real way. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. amen. Hey, so we are in the middle of this series uh, of the Beatitudes, looking at some statements from Jesus about what does it mean to be blessed. Now, when I think of the word blessed, uh, I can think about as a pastor all the times where people ask me to bless something for them. So we bless babies. I've been asked to bless homes, cars, pets. And one time someone at a wedding asked me to bless their bottle of Hennessy. And I was like, I don't know. How do you do, do you just touch the top? What is, how does that work? Uh, but generally speaking, when I think about a blessing, uh, I think about having God's favor in my life. That God approves of me. That God is pleased with me. That God is working on my side. Now, sign me up for that blessed life where God is approving of me and God is with me and working on my side. But in this series, we've been looking at a set of statements and the blessings that Jesus talked about, they kind of go against the grain of what we tend to think about when we think about what does it mean to be blessed. You know, when I think about blessing in my life, I think about having good things. That's probably the first definition that I would say on a really foundational, functional level. I tend to believe that blessing equals having good things. Uh, on um, Friday, I got a, a text from a friend that they had some tickets to opening day. And he heard that I was a Yankee fan. He said, man, I would love for you to come out to the stadium. And uh, I said yes. I did a dangerous thing. I said yes before I knew where the seats were. And I was like, if he has this in a nosebleed, I'm going to leave in like the third inning. But um, as it turns out, man, these seats were like, when you're, I was just like walking down and down and down. And I kept on thinking like a security guard was going to come and tackle me. Like, you shouldn't be down this far, sir. And we were like eight rolls behind home plate. And you can just like hear the crack of the ball in the catcher's net. And it was absolutely amazing. And when I think about blessing, I think about enjoying really good things. Now, in this series of the Beatitudes, Jesus is not saying that's not true, but he extends what it means to be blessed so far beyond our human understanding of blessing, of what it means to just enjoy a good thing. And today we're looking at a statement from Jesus that is a profound one. Uh, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, mercy is defined as compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone with whom it is within one's power to punish or to harm. Now, mercy is not something that you can owe anyone or it's not something that anybody can owe you because mercy, by definition, can never be owed. It's when someone gives kindness and grace to someone who doesn't deserve it. And Jesus says, if you want to be blessed, you need to be merciful. Now, here's a challenge for me. Um, Mercy is something that I I, I want to receive. I want to be on the receiving end of mercy, but mercy is something that I challenge. I'm challenged to give it to other people. You know, one of the things that's um, a challenge in life and certainly pastoral leadership is you get to interact with a lot of people and sometimes uh, in the course of the last seven and a half, eight years, I've, I've made mistakes. Um, I've rooted for the Nets before. Um, 
in all seriousness, though, I, I've made mistakes in terms of how I've dealt with situations. Um, being a recovering people pleaser meant that there were some times where I, I overpromised and I, and I underdelivered. And by God's grace, um, I've grown and am growing from that. And there are some times that I've, I've made mistakes. But there are other times when people have like said things and just like lied on my name. And I'm like, it didn't even happen like that. And when I think about situations like that where someone lies on me, it's like really hard for me to want to be merciful toward them. Just in my honesty, I kind of want, if I'm being perfectly honest, just in my sinful, fleshly nature, I kind of want them to experience the negative effects of what they've done to me. I want them to feel it. I want them to feel really sorry for ever saying anything about me. I want them to, to pay the price or the penalty for what they've done to me. And that is quite literally the opposite of mercy. Mercy is showing kindness to someone who doesn't deserve it. And Jesus says, blessed are those who are merciful, for you will receive mercy. You know, one of those situations in life, I mean, it feels so good to receive mercy when you actually get it. And in my brain, I sometimes wonder why there's such a disconnect in between how good it feels to receive mercy versus how stingy I am oftentimes internally with wanting and being willing to give mercy to someone else. You know, years ago, when we first uh, had our first child, my wife and I were sleep deprived, and sleeplessness will make you do crazy, crazy things. And uh, my, one of my contributions in our household is I do the dishes, and like every good husband, I believe in a good soak. You gotta let them join soak for like uh, a long time. <laughs> and um, I plugged up the sink, I turned on the water, put in the dish soap, and I started to let the, uh, the water come down, and I went into the living room and started watching the NBA. Yes, the story's gonna go much worse than you might even think it's gonna go. Um, so my wife and I were very fortunate to, uh, to be able to buy a co-op, um, and uh, this was the home that we hoped to, we hoped to raise our kids in, and uh, we had just moved in and just put some money in to get the kitchen fixed up and stuff, and about 20 minutes later, I'm like, I should be doing something right now. <laughs> and then I realized that I left the water running. And I like sprinted into the kitchen in slow motion, and um, it was a wrap. Like, you walk in and you're just sloshing in the water. And water and wood, they're not good. It's not a good combination. I don't know if you knew that. Um, <laughs> and right now, these floors that we had just done were now warped and messed up. So the first thought I had was, how can I blame this on someone else? Who, who can I blame for this? And the second thought I had was, man, my wife is going to be furious. Like, this is just a stupid mistake. This was entirely preventable. And one of the things that I've been very fortunate to receive, and I say this in all honesty and sincerity, is the mercy and forgiveness from the people closest to me. The people who could damage me and harm me with their words, man, when they have given me grace and mercy in those moments, it's transformative. Even knowing how good it felt in that moment for my wife to give me mercy and to not hold it against me, she's never brought it back up since that day. Knowing how good it feels, it's still a challenge for me to want to give mercy to other people. Now, this also might be true for you, and by God's grace today, we're going to learn and grow what it means to be a more merciful person, a person who has received God's mercy and is able to give that mercy out to other people. But before we get too far down the road in talking about 
mercy. Um, I think there's something in all of our nature that tends to judge other people by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. So I just want to call that out first and foremost. We tend to judge other people by their actions, but we judge, other, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. And as a result, you know, we tend to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. So one of the biggest obstacles to being a person of mercy is that I don't think we believe that God is merciful towards us. Like, first and foremost, if you, if you and I are going to be a people of mercy, and if you are new to faith and you're new to what it means to be a follower of Jesus, here's what you need to know. The basis of your faith, the continuation of your faith is all about God's mercy in your life, and it's new every single morning. The basis of your faith, the foundation of your faith, is not how good you can do on any given day. It is the mercy of God in our lives shown to us in Jesus coming to the cross to die on our behalf for our sins. There's a scripture in Micah 7:18 that talks about the mercy of God, and it says this, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but check this out, God, you delight to show mercy. Think about the words that that prophet is saying. He said, it brings God pleasure to show mercy. What would you say delights you? What is your delight? For me, my delight is to eat fried chicken and watch basketball. I can do that any day. I can do that right now. I can walk off the stage, middle of sermon, and go do that and be a very happy man. That is a delight to me. When things are a delight to you, it doesn't matter how often you do it. You can do it as much as you want to because it is bringing you joy. Scripture says that it is a delight to God to show us mercy. And we see that so clearly evidenced on, on the cross. And here's the thing about mercy and God's mercy. God is merciful because God is merciful. That's it. God is merciful because God is merciful, not because of how good you and I have done. And I want us to get a glimpse of that today. Now, one of the challenges in my own life and over the years of being a Christian is that I just really did not believe that God was merciful to me. I didn't believe that it was in his nature to, for him to be merciful. And as a result, I was always afraid of God. All of my prayers were full of, uh, I mean, I would be apologizing from the time I started praying to the time I ended prayer. And there was no time to learn or to bask and or to praise God for who he was. There was no time to, to receive God's love because I was so concerned about God judging me for my actions. So God is rich in mercy and he, is, uh, he delights in mercy. And we're going to spend the rest of the time today looking at a parable actually in scripture in Matthew 18. It's a teaching from Jesus and he talks and gives a really great illustration of what it means to be a person who receives mercy and is intended to give that mercy out. So it's Matthew 18, verses 23 through 35. And here's how the parable goes. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be paid to settle paid off to, uh, had to be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. 
Then the master of that servant had compassion. He released him, and he forgave him the loan. That same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him just a hundred denarii, and he grabbed him, started choking him, and said, pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, please be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he was not willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then, after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Here's the question that Jesus has for us to be considering today. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. Jesus says this, this is one of the most confounding and profound statements in the New Testament. So also my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. Now what Jesus asks in verses, in verse 33, shouldn't you have also had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Uh, This is a question that I think will fuel us to be a people who are more merciful so that we can receive the mercy of God in our lives. Now, a couple of quick things before we dig too deeply down into mercy. I first want us to make sure that we are applying mercy to the right, in the right situations. So we are called to be a people of mercy, but I think that sometimes mercy gets a bad rap because in times past or in some circles of Christianity, um, mercy kind of gets applied to the wrong scenarios. So like mercy, it's not merciful for you to be ignoring injustice. Like if you are at a job where someone is making unwanted sexual advances, it's not merciful to not say anything because that predatory behavior is just going to harm someone else down the road. In those instances, God is calling us to be a people of truth, of honesty, so that people made in God's image would not be harmed. Other times I've seen the conversation even in, certainly in American Christianity, where mercy is applied to situations of systemic injustices. Uh, I'm extremely grateful for all of the volunteers at Renaissance. Uh, Many of you served a couple of weeks ago uh, with Prison Fellowship on one of their sports days. And a couple of years ago, I worked with Prison Fellowship as a a volunteer, um, and I taught a Bible study in Sing Sing, uh, a maximum security prison in Ossing, New York. And it was a really peculiar time in my life because by day I was practicing law and by night I'd be teaching a Bible study in prison. And one of the most peculiar things to me was that during the day I would see the type of people that were being charged in court. And at night I would see the type of people who were actually being incarcerated for their crimes. And let's just say it doesn't add up. When I think about it now, to be perfectly honest, I I still get extremely angry thinking about the ways in which black people are over-incarcerated in America. It is a whole industrial complex, and it is degrading and dehumanizing to people made in God's image. When we talk about mercy, I'm not talking about ignoring systemic injustices that are harming people. So that being said, God calls us to be a people of mercy. And in order to do that, we need to be people who are exercising wisdom. 
I heard this one quote, it's really great. It says, wisdom isn't knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. It's the right use of knowledge. So as we're thinking about mercy and when it applies, how it applies, where it applies, uh, I think that correctly understood mercy could be something that can be immediately adopted and put into practice in all of our lives so that we could be a people who reflect the character and the nature of our God. Now think about it like this. How could you believe in a merciful God if the people that claim to operate in his name are not merciful? How could we be reinforcing the opposite of the message of what scripture tells us about who God is just by us being unmerciful? So there's so many different things about mercy that I want to jump into, but first and foremost, um, for all of our lives, I, I think that there's a power that we all have in every single relationship that we have with other people. And this power is something that we can choose to be merciful or not. It's our words. Our words are incredibly powerful. And we have the choice of, in our words, in dealing with our, the people close to us in our lives, how we will dispense and use those words. Uh, Proverbs 18.21 says like this, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. I don't know who said sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me, but they are, that was an idiot who said that, because that's, um, I can think about stuff that was said to me in eighth grade that I still think about. Many of you have been deeply harmed and deeply formed by people's words. And as you're thinking about today and, and this concept of mercy, how God might be calling you to put it into practice, one of the first things I'd want you to be curious about is to think whether or not you can be showing mercy to people in the way that you are talking to them, both in your verbal language and also in your body language, certainly um, in the close relationships that you have, because our words are extremely, extremely powerful. So why does Jesus tell you that you are blessed if you are merciful? I think the first thing that um, Jesus says that for is because by you being a merciful person, it helps you to rehearse the gospel, to take it from a theological script in our heads to a real reality in our, in our hearts. It helps us to understand the gospel, to give mercy to undeserving recipients. Now, over the years, we've talked about the gospel being that undeserving people People who are undeserving get unconditional love from an unobligated giver. That we are undeserving, we do not deserve good things from God, but yet God in his unconditional love gives us himself even though he is not obligated to give it. And when you are merciful to someone else, what you are doing is you are rehearsing this gospel over and over again in your life. And here's the truth that I know to be true. You will become what you rehearse. Any behavior in your life the more you do it, the more you will become like it. This might be true for people even with dealing with money. Uh, once upon a time, maybe you just wanted to make a little bit more, uh, get yourself a little bit ahead in life. And before you know it, you started rehearsing more and more and more ways of gaining wealth. And there's nothing wrong with money in and of itself. There's nothing wrong with having money, but there is something wrong with money having you. And over and over in time, a person who becomes obsessed with getting more and more money it becomes almost impossible to tell where they end and where money begins. They've rehearsed it so much that this is all they think about and all they talk about. This is who they have become. 
Now, this same truth is, is, is true in almost every single area in our life, and certainly it is true for how you and I become people who are formed by the beautiful truth of the gospel. The more you rehearse it, the more that you put this into practice in your life. So here's what I know to be true. The times in my life when I, I could have said something that could have harmed someone, either to their face or behind their back, because I had the receipts and I chose not to, I was rehearsing the gospel of not repaying evil for evil. And you know what? That grew me more than 38 Bible studies. One simple act of obedience is worth more than a thousand lectures. And when Jesus calls you into being a person of mercy, to give mercy to people who do not deserve it, he is inviting you into your own transformation. Your own transformation does not just happen by sitting here listening to me tell jokes. It happens by us putting into practice the words that Jesus is calling us to put into practice. In this parable, this man is unwilling to be merciful, even though he himself had received mercy, and he misses out on so much. Here's the beautiful truth about God and his nature. Ephesians 2 and 4 and 5 says this, but our God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses or dead in sin. He says this with an exclamation point, you are saved by grace. When we give out mercy to other people, we are rehearsing this gospel truth that we get good things and we give good things and we withhold punishment and judgment from people who deserve it. And we're allowing this truth to make its way into, into our hearts. So on one end, it frees, the, it frees the person who gives mercy. And this is why I believe Jesus says that it is blessed to be merciful because we are freed from the, the negative scripts and we even separate ourselves from what has been done to us. But the ultimate blessing of mercy is that it frees the recipient. So the person, the, the first servant in the parable, he was free to go. He owes $10,000 and here's what Jesus wanted to communicate to his crowd. The mercy of God frees you, period. The mercy of God forgives your debts. And there is nothing that you need to try to add to it later down the line. What God asks you is to become a person who now gives out the same mercy that you have received. Now, there's a lot of people who I talk to and the majority of their Christian walk is characterized as self-loathing. The way that you talk about yourself, man, you give yourself a black eye every single day. There's so much self-loathing behavior and our own theology of who we are. And man, we just can't ever even fathom that we are God's children that God loves. We can't ever fathom that God would, would send Jesus to die on the cross or that that would actually work on our behalf, that that would actually free us from our sins. It's almost like in some ways, um, if like Oprah were to forgive you for $100 and you were like, oh, I don't, you know, I mean, you might miss it, Oprah. And she's like, no, trust me, I got it. I'm not going to feel it. And Ephesians scripture tells us that God is rich in mercy. Here's the thing about rich people. Rich people could do stuff that regular people can't do. Rich people can go out and just swipe it. They can go out and, and just see something that they like and don't even ask how much it costs. And if I did that, I would be on the street. I wouldn't be able to, to live because I'm not rich. When scripture over and over again calls God rich in mercy, 
the authors are telling us and trying to elevate our minds to say, God can do things that you and I can't because God is rich in mercy and he wants us to receive it. Now, here's the truth about receiving God's mercy and receiving God's forgiveness so that you could be a person who gives it to other people. Listen to this. You don't have to feel forgiven to be forgiven. You do not have to feel like you are worthy of God's mercy to receive God's mercy in full for it to be efficacious and actually work on our behalf. I can say this now because my wife is not in a crowd. Uh, but years ago, we bought, uh, a, I bought a co-op in New Rochelle, and I thought it was going to be a great uh, investment. And I bought it kind of at the top of the market in 2008. And by the time you know, the market crashed and everything, I was under, underwater on it. And for years, I lived, when I was living in Harlem, I was paying my rent in Harlem, paying for the co-op in New Rochelle because I couldn't sell it and I couldn't rent it. And every single month on the first of the month, I was just depressed. I'm like, it came out, didn't it? <laughs> and the way my account was looking was not looking good you know, from the first of the month going forward. And it was just this constant drain in my life. Thankfully, by the mercy of God, we sold that joint. And, uh, and I'll never forget the first month after we had sold it, I still woke up feeling like I still owed money on this apartment. It had been so many years that I was paying for it every single month that even after I had sold it, I still felt like the debt was owed and the debt was going to come out of our bank account. And I would like be checking my Chase account to be like, yo, the money is still in there. It's like they haven't taken anything out. I didn't feel like the debt was forgiven, even though it was. But here's the thing. What I felt about it did not matter. The closing had taken place. The transaction had been done. The deed had been transferred. And I was no longer obligated to pay for it. When Jesus went to the cross and said, it is finished, the transaction is over. One scripture writer says he canceled the record against us. The record that stood against you is canceled. You don't have to feel forgiven. You don't have to, even if you think about it over and over again, it still has no power in your life if you have placed your faith in Christ. So you don't have to feel forgiven to, to be forgiven. And God is wanting, though, to get you a holistic wholeness, a holistic salvation in your life where you are not just theologically forgiven, but you are functionally forgiven, where you feel and have received God's mercy in your life. But don't raise your own understanding to the level of that if you don't feel it, it's not true. But God intends to forgive us and to free us for us to live. Here's, a, here's what the parable shows us, that the mercy of the king freed the servant to live an unencumbered life where nothing was hindering him in his life. That is the goal of God's mercy in your life. And God wants you to give that same mercy to other people. In doing so, you will be rehearsing the gospel. In doing so, you will be making the name of Jesus well-known by being a person of mercy. You know, being a pastor and working in a church, I'm just, Renaissance has a lot of really kind people. And when people come to Renaissance from out of town, a lot of times they just tell me how friendly and how kind people are, and that's definitely true. But what I also hope to be true is that even with people who are not kind to you, we will be known as merciful people. People who could have clapped back and you chose not to. Now, there's another reason that I think mercy is so hard for a lot of us, um, and it's because we have been hurt in real ways in our lives, and that previous wound prevents you from giving mercy now. In some ways, it's made you protective over your life. And even though it was not your fault what happened to you, 
it's really difficult for you to be merciful now because you just have this wound, which for whatever reason still has yet to heal. Now, here's a couple of truths about emotions that I know to be true. Unprocessed emotions don't die. They get buried alive. And if you don't heal from what hurt you, you'll bleed on people who didn't cut you. One thing that we've talked about a lot in this last couple of years at Renaissance is that really what God invites us to in our lives is not just theological knowledge, but God wants to transform us holistically, not just spiritually, but spiritually, physically, in our community, um, and certainly also emotionally. Now, one of the challenges we have in our lives is that we have separated, for whatever reason, our spiritual life from our emotional world, and those two things should never be separate. We are one person, not divided into small little parts. Now, if that's you and you're feeling like, you know what, um, that might be me. I, mean, I feel like I have a lot of unprocessed emotions that haven't died. I just kind of threw them in the trunk somewhere, and I might be bleeding on people who didn't cut me. Uh, one thing I would love for you to do is to email grace at renaissancenyc.com, and one of our deacons will follow up with you about helping you get into counseling if this is something that uh, might be helpful for you. For those of you who are already in counseling or not ready for that, man, I would love for you to be considering, God, what are the areas, the wounds in my life that I have yet to heal from and allow Jesus to meet you in those places. But it first starts with an acknowledgement and an awareness because you cannot heal from what you are unwilling to name and unwilling to look into the face. There's this documentary on Netflix actually about this thing called The Gardner Heist. It was the largest uh, theft of private property in American history. Now, the Gardner heist was all about this woman named Isabella Stewart Gardner. In modern day, she would have been a multi-billionaire, and she had this crazy art collection worth hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. When she died in 1924, she left her entire estate to the city of Boston. But there was one caveat. She said, I'm going to leave you all of my art, all of my collection, everything I have in this home. However, you cannot touch anything. You cannot move stuff around. You cannot edit or subtract. You cannot add anything to it. It has to stay 100% intact or else it's going to go to someone else. Needless to say, the city of Boston took that very seriously and they preserved her home in pristine and perfect condition exactly how she wanted it. One day though, in 1990, someone broke into the museum, tied up the security guards, and walked away, check this out, with $500 million in artwork. Right, I'm in the wrong industry, $500 million. <laughs> now, several items had been removed, and these galleries had been forever changed, but it wasn't the fault of the trustees with whom they were in trust. So normally, whenever a museum is robbed, what they do is they reorganize a bunch of stuff so that um, you can still have a good experience in the museum, even if you don't see the pieces that were taken. However, because of her will, um, the people at the museum were not allowed to touch anything. So the Supreme Court actually weighed into this, and they determined that they would just have to hang empty picture frames where the art was stolen from. And to this day, the, the galleries with the empty picture frames are far and away the most popular. People line up from around the block to see the sad, empty places on which the wall where priceless things were stolen. Now, here's the truth that I know to be so true in our lives. For some of us in our own personal lives, 
the thing that people noticed first, or the most profound or noteworthy thing about us are the things that have been taken from us. In our lives, there are empty picture frames of maybe a childhood that was taken from us. It was your innocence. Maybe it was your ability to trust people. Maybe it was your reputation. And because of a variety of reasons, again, none of these things saying that were your fault, it's robbed us from moving forward in the way that God wants us to move forward. For those of you who are already doing the hard emotional work of getting to the bottom of the hurts that you had in your past, keep going. Keep going, keep plowing forward. And for those of you who have yet to really dig beneath the, the surface in your life, man, I don't want you spending your life bleeding out on people who didn't cut you. I want you to be a person who is able to be merciful. Now, one of the most peculiar things about the parable is I imagine this, this servant receiving the forgiveness from the king, but all the while he's still preoccupied with what other people took from him. And I'm afraid that so many of us, even as we talk about the mercy and the forgiveness of God, we're still in our minds preoccupied with what other people have done to us. And that is a prison. That is a prison that God wants to free us from. Uh, one of the things that I love about Jesus is even in the most difficult of moments, in the most grotesque of scenarios, Jesus is a willing savior. There's a scripture where Jesus is with this leper and the leper is talking to Jesus and he says, Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus tells this man three words that I want to apply to your life. Anything that you have done or anything that has been done to you that God wants to heal you. And Jesus, will you heal me from this? His answer is, I am willing. And I, I hope and pray that the gospel truth of what God has come and done for us on the cross that we're going to celebrate this Good Friday would continue to permeate our hearts and we would be people who see Jesus on the cross and that that grace and mercy would transform our lives so that we can give it to other people. So Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be a people who, who trust you, who take you at your word, who allow you to transform us, who reflect you well in this world, that we are people who are receiving mercy and have received mercy, and we are committed to give that same mercy out to others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.